Morning, gents. How's everyone doing today? Good, awesome. morning. Good morning. Here with uh, the Green Squad crew, and Adam's going to tell us a little bit about what we're doing here today and, and where we came from. Three years ago in October of 2019, somehow all uh, seven of us came together in a, in a small group and have been meeting to talk about business, life, leadership, and entrepreneurship for the past three years, every Saturday morning, never miss three straight years. We come from all walks of life, but the common thing for us is we all have uh, goals for our family, goals for our business, and we all want to grow as, as people and business owners. So we've been doing that together for three years and we've seen some pretty massive success over hundreds of properties put into our portfolio, millions of dollars in net worth. And um, I think much of it is contributed to the fact that we show up every Saturday, we meet together and we're constantly masterminding and, and putting our brains together to solve big problems. I love it. Appreciate that. I think a uh, good way to start out would just be hear a little bit more about each one on the team and your background and, and, and where you're from and, and what you're focused on now. So uh, James, why don't you start us off? I'm James Lascara. I live in Tampa, Florida. Uh, any properties I own are also uh, centralized in Tampa, Florida. Um, so I'm investing where I live. My top investing strategy um, in terms of results is buy and hold long-term rentals, mostly multifamily. Uh, I've been doing it coming up on three years. Before that, I was doing house hacking. And um, current portfolio is about $6 million of assets under management and $1 million in syndications. Um, my hobby is woodworking. I love it. Long walks on the beach as well. Travis, what about you? My name is Travis Hill. I'm an active duty Marine stationed in California. I invest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Cleveland, Ohio. I'm a buy and hold investor and have been investing primarily for the last three years with a little bit of history of the Great Recession. My favorite hobbies are jujitsu and surfing. Nice. Brandon. Hey, Brandon Jenkins, also active duty Navy, currently in Newport, Rhode Island. I also have a life insurance agency where I help other investors and entrepreneurs build resilience with properly structured whole life insurance. Uh, on the investing front, uh, love real estate, buy and hold strategy is my primary strategy uh, with properties in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and also in Florida. And as far as hobbies go, I uh, love to read, love to hang out with my family, love to get outside and, and be active. Great. Appreciate that. Marty. Hi, I'm uh, Marty Tyler. I invest in Southwest Missouri, uh, where I currently reside. I like to be able to see the properties that I invest in. Um, I specialize in buy and hold um, with some owner financing back to the, the tenants. Um, and my, I currently have about 15 properties that I own, um, along with a campground. And uh, my hobbies include watching sports and being pretty active. Great. Adam. Adam Whitney. Currently live in Stafford, Virginia, just south of D.C. I invest in buy and holds in Milwaukee. I also have an active flipping and wholesaling business in Tennessee and Florida. My top investing strategy is buy and holds. I've got about 10 10 properties, residential, multifamily, and single family in my portfolio. And 
also invest in syndications. My hobby, as I'm a huge sports fan, particularly college football, I'm a Michigan guy, and uh, I make sure I watch that every Saturday. Yeah, we won't hold that against you too much. Tom Murray. Hey, everybody. Tom Murray here from Coronado, California. Uh, also active duty Navy, but uh, retiring here in uh, 2023. And I uh, got to figure out what's next. I've been investing in multifamily real estate in uh, SoCal, particularly the 29 Palms area for about five and a half years. And have have 17 doors up there. Um, my strategy is long-term buying, you know, buy and hold long-term uh, multifamily. And I look forward to building out the profile. Uh, in the coming years with additional multifamily properties. Uh, my hobby is playing baseball with my kids and uh, going to San Diego Padres game. Thanks, uh, everyone, for the, the background. I think as we get into kind of the discussion today and, and just trying out different ideas and topics, it'd be interesting to go around the room and just hear you know briefly what you think your strength in business is personally. We've got a diverse set of background, experiences, specialties, um, and, and different types of businesses, even within this group. And I think it'd be uh, interesting to kind of say, hey, what do you what do you think you leverage the most in your business uh, that's unique to you and has, has helped you be successful? So uh, Travis, why don't you, you start us out? Yeah, I think that uh, my biggest strength is that I'm a connector. I enjoy bringing people and deals together. And I enjoy speaking about real estate. I enjoy helping others that don't know anything about real estate, especially in the military space. There's a lot of, um, there's a knowledge base that needs to be filled with a knowledge gap that it, that exists. And I just enjoy helping and teaching and coaching other people to achieve and know that this space is available while on active duty and as a W2 earner. I love that. I think, uh, that's a huge part about business, obviously giving back, you know, being a part of a community and, and leveraging those connections. And, and there's certain people that have been super successful there. And, and not only are they giving back to others, but that's helped them grow their own businesses. So it's great to hear that that's, uh, that's your strength. And I can attest to that personally. So uh, thank you for what you do. James, what about you? Yeah, I appreciate it, Justin. Um, I think my strength when it comes to business is risk mitigation via very detailed analysis. Um, that's enabled some of my results that I've seen here in Tampa. And then along with that uh, very thorough analysis that I do, identifying additional exit strategies that somebody otherwise may not think of, like like having a rental and tearing it down and building a new house on the site that enables a, a higher return. So I think uh, risk mitigation and uh, complex analysis. That's great. Uh, Marty. I think my uh, strength is I'm a very much of an outside the box thinker. And so when I go and see a property or I see one online or look at one, um, I'm able to kind of automatically start churning in my head what I can make that property into instead of what it is. And so whether that's uh, adding a wall to make a two bedroom into a three bedroom, finishing out a garage, um, adding different spots, things like that. So outside the box thinking and uh, maximizing the potential of a property. So being creative with your your kind of process, your analysis, and ultimately your, your execution. Brandon, what about you? Uh, thanks, Justin. I would say for me, it is the, I have a deeply held belief in personal development and and the fact that the more you grow and the more you're willing to learn uh, the more you build your capacity and the more you're able to help your teammates. And so I really try to bring that into the business, my investing, 
and all my interactions with the different teams that I'm on to um, just kind of stress the importance of personal development, of growth, and of having a learning mindset. Uh, I just believe that that's going to do a lot and pay dividends in your business and your life. That's huge, cultivating that growth mindset. And I think what you do a great job of is sharing that with others and those ideas and, and educating or, or giving um, examples for people to understand how they can apply some of those ideas and concepts, you know, in their own life, in their own business. So that's huge. Uh, Adam, what about you? I would say that when I started out, my, my goal was just to build some passive income through buying rentals, but I quickly realized you need two things, which is the ability to raise, raise money and find discounted deals. So my strength personally is to find off market discounted deals, which has allowed us to in just two years do over 150 deals. Yeah, that's impressive. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more when we talk about 2023 and, and how that's going to play into the market. And then Tom, what do you, what do you think your strength is in uh, business? Thanks, Justin. I think uh, one of the things that turns so many people off from real estate investing is that uh, they come across a problem, a speed bump, and they're, they're turned off to it and decide that they can't overcome those problems or that it's too hard. And, and one of the things I really enjoy and that I, I do think is my biggest strength is the ability to solve those problems. Uh, I enjoy it. I like tackling uh, whether whether complex or simple, I love being able to apply some resourcefulness and and solve problems uh, to get after the end state that that I'm working towards uh, in in whatever the real estate or business project is. Yeah, that's that's great. The uh, Tom's a grinder, and he enjoys the grind. He, he can out grind the best of them. Um, kind of shifting gears, I think that lets everyone know a little bit more about you know, where you're coming from uh, and how you guys think about things. And I'm sure, you know, we'll touch on that further, but I think this is just open to the group and it'd just be interesting to hear everyone chime in, but we've talked about your strengths. What do you think the number one trait of a successful entrepreneur is, you know, whether that's necessarily your number one trait, but what do you think, you know, is the one thing that, is going to help someone in entrepreneurship go out there and build something, you know, truly special from the ground up. I would say to me, it is humility and it's the willingness to admit that you can't do everything yourself. You know, as entrepreneurs, I think, I think we have, we have great ideas and we have a vision of kind of what we want to happen. And so then we, we get started and we stay in our lane of strength. But then I think to grow a business, to really run a business, you have to understand that there's going to be things you're not good at and you have to be willing to admit when you don't know something and ask for help um, and, and to kind of build that team around you. I don't know. What do you guys think? For me personally, I think the entrepreneurs that I see succeed really have a combination of um, two things. And it's it's growth mindset, that desire to always learn, never have never feel like you've made it and you're just curious. You're always curious. You're trying to learn something new and then the drive to take action on it because you'll see a lot of people who have, they're super curious and they end up in learning mode for 10 years and they never really take action. I think when you have that combination of 
growth mindset where you're just constantly learning. And then you also have a, a deep desire, a drive to, to kind of win and take action. That That's just a killer combination that I see, you know, the people on this call, the everybody on here is constantly learning and taking action every day, every week. Yeah, I mean, Adam, you talked about the growth mindset. I think in order to really be growing, you also have to be a little uncomfortable as you take risk and put some of that stuff you've learned, those concepts or principles into action. You know, James talked about being an expert risk mitigation, but the bottom line is you do have to take risk. You do have to put yourself out there and accept some, you know, whether it's personal or financial risk in order to truly be successful. Uh, I'll add, I, I think that one of the things that successful entrepreneurs do is they're willing to pivot. You know, they have a goal in mind, an end state. And while they're always marching toward that end state, I do think that an ability to, to both know when to pivot and how to pivot in pursuit of their, their end state is a, a uh, very important trait that successful entrepreneurs possess. Yeah, Tom, you, you kind of stole the, the thing that I was going to bring up, which was adaptability. Uh, and it's interesting because I, I feel that my lack of adaptability right now is inhibiting some of my own growth as an entrepreneur. But I think it's it's super important because your business environment is going to change as you scale your business. Um, you know, at first, maybe you need some volume and you, you have a sales team that can handle that. And then you need some more. Uh, maybe Adam needs more buyers for his deals. So he scales his marketing. There's always going to be the next step that you have to grow your business. And I think as an entrepreneur, as a leader, you have to be adaptable for that, which is what I'm bad at. Yeah. I think when, when people see yourself, like when, when somebody decides to take that leap, right? First they they got to identify their why. And with that, why comes a little bit of tenacity and a little bit of grit. And it's something that's been very, I've been able to parallel with, my jujitsu journey training on the mats is man, sometimes you're the hammer and sometimes you're the nail and being able to grind through that, identifying where your shortfalls and weaknesses are and then how you can detach yourself from that. And then that grit and tenacity kicks in to be like, Hey, I can still work through this. I can still get through and make it a better opportunity position or outcome because it's satisfying my long-term vision and goal or my why. I think that's allows, you know, that's, that's a huge stopping point for a lot of the new people like, that are interested in doing real estate or starting a venture or being an entrepreneur in some aspect. Right. And then taking that, you know, that stuff that you're going through that grit and then also understanding that it's okay to fail. Right. And we're failing and we're learning. And as we're pivoting, it's okay. If we get knocked down, we're getting back up, we're learning, we're failing forward. We're failing often. Um, and, and just realizing that that's okay. And that's all part of the journey is a big part of it too. I think. Yeah. Tom, I just wanted to add something. Cause like all, all of these things are like a, a concoction of like what makes the people on this call and the people we know in the industry really successful, whether it's business or real estate, is the everybody sees social media has caused this phenomenon where they see guys like you or James or you jump in and you see these people in groups who are like way ahead, like 20 steps ahead on their journey and they start on the journey and it gets hard solving those problems you're talking about or having that grit that Travis is talking about or the risk tolerance that James is talking about. And they're like, oh, it just doesn't work for me. They have, they must have had something I didn't have. It doesn't work for me. But the reality is, is there are challenges. You do have to fail and it is hard. If it, if it wasn't hard, the old cliche is everybody would do it. So, I mean, that's just a, a 
everybody mentioned all the things that it really takes to to grow something and and meet a vision and it's it's not necessarily easy because if it were easy everybody would do it i think you know i would say to somebody starting out that that not only do you need to be willing to fail but you need to expect to fail and you should convince yourself in advance that you have the resilience to push through that it is very uncomfortable you know my my recent personal example I'm in a very new role in the Navy right now, and I am not doing well at it, at least by my standards. And I've done well at everything I've done in the Navy for 19 years. And so to be struggling now to to perform at the level I'm accustomed to performing at is hard. It feels like failure. It's uncomfortable. And I think in order to be successful, I know in order to be successful, I'm going to have to sit in that discomfort for a little while, push through it and uh, get back to where uh, where, uh, where I'm in a place of comfort. As a recovering Great Recession real estate investor, um, yeah, having lost the portfolio in the Great Recession and then coming back and be willing and having the wherewithal, right, that I can invest again after family and friends are like, man, you already lost money. Why would you want to do something that you lost money in? And then have the capacity to know that I can make more. And being a part of this squad has made that into, you know, into a creation, into fruition, and it continues to do so. And I think that's picking yourself up, right? Got to do that. You fall seven to pick up to stand back up eight times. I think uh, hearing you guys talk about all these different traits, and if you're someone that's listening and you know, trying to figure out where to get started and new to, to entrepreneurship or business in general. Um, you know, you hear humility and growth mindset and a bias for action and tenacity and failure and adaptability, risk mitigation. I mean, honestly, it's it, it probably sounds a bit daunting. I, I think what I would add is uh, it is, but that's part of the journey as well. And, you know, to still from Simon Sinek uh, and, and, you know, his book, The Infinite Game, it really is infinite. And so I think part of it is trying to have that longer worldview, um, you know, from the, from the start, which is the hard part and, and keep that in mind, knowing that you're never really done. And so not look at the long list of, of traits that are going to be successful at a long list of things you have to do, but really just figure out what that most important next step is. And I know that's something that this group has leveraged a lot uh, and then take that action towards it. So uh, that was a, a great little um, intro there on, on some of the mindset of, of the people here in this room. So thank you for sharing in terms of real estate specifically and the kind of global macroeconomic factors that are going on right now. We've seen a lot of things happening in 2022, and there's a lot of expectations of what might happen going into 2023. So here at the end of the year, you know, what are kind of one, the one or two real estate or economic factors that, that you guys are watching uh, for your business specifically, both to mitigate risk and or to leverage uh, for growth? I'm happy to start off since I'm I'm kind of a nerd in this space. Uh, I I watch this deeply. I have a very transactional, active business, so I I have to be very in tune. First, uniquely, we're in multiple markets, so I get to see 
and live the reality how real estate is in fact local between Florida, Tennessee, and then a Midwestern state in Milwaukee. And I think there's just some really high level stuff as it relates to the market change. And the, the bottom line is supply and demand. Supply has increased, but I think demand is still there. Although some people have uh, been priced out of the market, there's still people who want to buy houses. So transactions are still happening. And that's just normal everyday people buying houses. The other part of that is the the price point of houses. So it started to get unwieldy, unaffordable for many. And when Jerome Powell raised the Fed rate, now it's at the highest it's ever been. It it had a correlation to mortgage interest rates that went up from you know the low twos all the way up to seven and slightly above seven percent. And that really priced people out from buying. So it almost brought the the buying and selling to a halt in Q3 and a little bit into Q4 of this year. But now it's started to normalize. So I'm I'm seeing transactions happening again, just not at the same volume as the last two years. And each market's a little different. Each market took somewhere between a five to nine percent cut on price uh, in some places a little more depending on the price point of the property but the real thing that i'm watching going into 2023 is the what people are carrying for debt so credit card debt as one example consumer debt and i'm also watching unemployment real closely because the fed has done a good job of slowing the real estate market and price growth uh, which was one of their goals now they're trying to get people to stop spending as much money because it's obviously an inflated economy and things are hurting so i'm i'm watching what happens with unemployment and i'm watching what happens with debt we're no longer there's no more quantitative easing happening and what that just means is when the government injects money into the economy to keep it moving so people aren't getting those government checks like they were through covid and after covid and now they're starting to tap into their savings the savings they track the savings across the United States, there there was $2.7 trillion that people had saved. So that's like in your checking account, in your saving account, which was the highest historically it has ever been. It's down to like 1.8 trillion or something to that effect. I'd have to look at it. And it's declining and credit is going up or debt is going up on things like credit cards. So whether or not we're going to go into a recession as an economy it doesn't mean the real estate market's going to stop transacting. I'm just saying it's it's uh, the economy is changing. So I'm looking at those two factors. I'm looking at the the debt that people are carrying, consumer debt, and uh, the unemployment. If unemployment starts to go up and and debt continues to rise, then we'll start to see some pretty significant changes. I'll add to that, Adam. I think uh, you know certainly interested in, in how all those. Uh, things play out. I'm also interested in, in what the new stasis is going to be for for the where do people work, right? We saw at the height of the pandemic, work from home became uh, a very common practice. And, and as we trend back towards a new stasis, we're seeing 
many people returning to either limited uh, office work or some sort of hybrid model. And I think as that ultimately settles out into a new normal, uh, folks in the development space are going to be looking at new amenities to add, whether you're building single family homes or apartment complexes. Uh, and I think that, that not only does that new uh, work location model dictate where people live, but it also uh, influences uh, what sort of amenities people want uh, in their uh, in their homes and apartments. I agree with that, Tom. I think that I was watching, I was at the gym and uh, they were talking about how salaries have been some of the highest they've been in a long time, like salaries are going up. And I have a friend who's retiring and she's sharing about how hybrid talk in interviews is a thing. And I think that when you start figuring out how to best, you know, how companies are still able to turn a profit, be pro, um, pay their employees, and then figure out that work home hybrid dynamic, uh, that's and how that's going to be sustained over a, a longer time, is definitely interesting. I know in the markets that I'm in, uh, population growth, rent growth, those are things that I kind of pay attention to. Two things that I like to pay attention to. Because if everybody is leaving a certain part of the city or the city itself, you know, what are the causes of that? And that kind of, you know, allows you to kind of domino effect into what other things are happening. But, uh, you know, are we seeing rent growth? Is it plateauing? Is it kind of hovering? Is it descending? Because that then affects how you're moving forward and rent growth with each individual investment property. And that's the beautiful thing about a group like this, because I'll be honest with you, I've never once Googled unemployment rate. Uh, savings amounts. I've never done anything of that, right? We get on this call, Adam tells me that. I trust Adam completely. And so that's that. That's what I do. I'm more of a real world guy, right? So I look at the Facebook posts of people, um, you know, looking to, to rent and looking to buy and looking to sell and start, you know, piecing the things that's happening in this market that I'm in that I care about. And so I just base everything off of real world stuff and let the Adams and Justins and Jameses of the world tell me how macroeconomics is working. I think we mentioned two factors. Mine are pretty simple. I think Adam basically already mentioned them, but uh, the par interest rate, that's the main one. I think when we see with that come down, that's going to bring back more demire, more, excuse me, more buyers into the market and increase demand. Um, and then the, uh, the days on market. So I'm looking at days on market, active days on market for MLS transactions, because I think that's very telling on the residential side for um, pricing and uh, how, how fast things are moving. So that we've seen that go up in Q3, Q4. Um, and I think that's a pretty good lead indicator. Uh, sorry, I might be confusing lead and lag, sorry. Um, but it's a good indicator of what pricing is going to do if you see something sitting on the market for quite a while and we see that across the board. Adam, is that a lead or a lag indicator? That's a good question. I think it's a lead indicator uh, where pricing is going. So as days on, just to clarify, as days on market go up, you can expect prices to go down. That means inventory has probably also correlated, meaning there's more options for buyers. They're being more picky and houses are sitting for longer, which we're starting to see in Q2 and Q3, James, as you know. Um, so things like what's what's actionable on that? Well, if you're flipping houses, uh, quality matters now more than ever. I, I mean, last year we literally bought a dump house and didn't even get the power turned on 
and listed it as is on the market and made $40,000. You cannot do that today. You cannot do that today. So yeah, James, I, I think it, I think it leads. It's 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 tied to inventory. Days on market's going up. Buyers have way more options. If you're selling something that's not desirable, it's going to be a lot harder to sell it. It's going to sell for less money, and it's going to take longer to sell. Um, kind of listening to all these different perspectives, there's a few themes from it that that uh, I picked up on. I tend to be in Marty's camp <clears throat> where. Um, I, I like to hone in on and focus on the things that I can control. And I know that the greater macro economy, uh, Fed interest rates, all those things matter. That data matters. However, I can't control that. And so I tend to focus on uh, where I store my capital, storing it, choosing to store it in, a, in places where I'm going to preserve the capital and at the same time build an alternate source of financing, right? Because one thing throughout all this is the need for financing. If you're going to be in the real estate investing space, you're going to run into that problem. So that was one thing, right? Control what you can control. Um, the other thing that I heard is there's a lot of volatility out there, right? That the markets are volatile. We don't really know what's going to happen. We use data. We use lead indicators. We use uh, markers on the economy to kind of give us an idea of what direction we want to go and, and, and keeps our eyes open to look for opportunities. Uh, but I, but we don't know. And so I think focusing on the resilience of your, your portfolio, the resilience of your strategy uh, is extremely important. And what do I mean by resilience in your strategy? I mean, are you positioned in a way that you can pivot? I think James mentioned that earlier, the ability to pivot and flex. Are you in a position with your strategy where you can, pivot and flex with the market as it changes because something's going to happen that you're not expecting. Uh, and so I just thought it was really interesting to kind of, to hear these different perspectives. And I thought I, I would kind of add my, my take on it there. That's a great segue, Brandon. I think pointing out, you know, the stoicism involved in everything is always an important reminder and easy to say and hard to do. Um, but if we did have a crystal ball, and we were going to figure out what was going to happen in the future. I think it'd be a good way to close the day, you know, given kind of the setup there, you know, around the room, what does everyone think uh, 2023, you know, is going to bring for, for real estate in general, uh, good, bad, or other. And we can start with James. Oh man, I was, I was going to pop off first because this is recorded. So we can come back a year from now and we can see who's going to be right. Exactly. Um, There'll be a, there's actually a cash prize that we've set aside. Years <laughs> nice. It's good. It's good. Residential and commercial multifamily will remain strong because we're going to see rents continue to be strong uh, regardless of how interest rates um, go up or down. Um, so I don't see it dipping there too much. I think residential single family homes, um, I think we're going to see uh, a stronger market than we have the uh, like Q3, Q4 of 2022. And the reason I think we will see that is I think interest rates are going to start to come down. That's one thing. I don't think they're going to come down quite as much as people think. So interest rates coming down a little bit. And I think buyers are simply getting used to this new interest rate environment. It takes some time for both buyers and sellers in the market to realize that this is not the same 3% interest rate that we saw in Q1 which led to the beating frenzy that we saw of real estate, multiple offers, basically bidding wars across the board. 
Um, so I think, I think we'll see the market become stronger than it is now. Uh, the first two quarters, and I think we'll just see it be stable the remaining two quarters uh, towards the end of 2023. That's what I think. Got it. Adam. Interest rates for mortgages, the 30-year fixed rates, are going to settle in the mid-fives, which is going to bring back a number of buyers, and it's going to create a more healthy uh, supply and demand equilibrium where people are, are regularly transacting properties. One, one additional thing I would just watch because Brandon's right is we can't control these factors. We can look at them and be adaptable, like James said. But one thing that I would watch is Michigan every year puts out a consumer sediment um, data. They put it out. I think they put it out monthly. But just like the stock market, how the investors feel is how the stock market ends up going. And I think consumer sediment, how the consumers feel is how the real estate market goes. So I would watch that. And I think consumer sentiment has normalized and people are adapting to the new normal. So those interest rates will settle in the mid fives. I mean, low two interest rates are over a hundred years, the lowest we've ever, ever seen. And it became, we, we became spoiled by that. Like, oh, we, we just like are entitled to these 2% interest rates. Well, those are gone and they may never come back. Five and a half next year, and and you know maybe hitting the fours in the following year but five and a half percent interest rates is my prediction is kind of where we settle in and um i do think we do eventually dip back into the high fours for interest rates yeah, interesting you and james both mentioned you know kind of recalibration and I, and I think you're spot on on that the question is how fast or how really how long does that take for the market to recalibrate uh, and the people in the market that are that are doing the deals. Travis, what do you think? I think that because there's no national housing market that every city, every sub market is going to experience their own type of thing. I think that Midwest is going to be solid. I think that the places that have had the most growth are also going to have the most correction. And I think that investors can are going to find a smart achievable investments in the coming year. I think that rent is going to stabilize. Um, I don't think it's going to go up. I think it's going to kind of stay where it is. And probably quarter three, late quarter three, early quarter four next year is when we might have a, a uh, rent increase. But rents are going to stay hovering because people are going to be priced out with inflation. And they're going to be looking for good deals to rent while they save up money for their first home purchase. I do agree that rents rents have been going up at a pretty rapid rate, which is for investors like many of us who buy for cash flow, um, maybe aside from James, who is an appreciation monster in Tampa, but the 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 cash flow investors are we love the rent so we we're looking at this rent rate and we're going rents are awesome, but we've also got to balance that with looking at occupancy rates, because if you go back to my earlier statement about not just the real estate market settling or changing or, or those economic factors, but when that consumer debt goes up and people start to, to get a little looser with their finances, occupancy is going to go down. We're going to have more vacancies in our property. So we got to make sure as investors, we're pricing that in appropriately. Yeah, that's huge. Thanks for that. 
I mean, would you look at changing your, what you project on your, uh, underwriting for vacancy rate you think or you're just going to watch that i think you just c- continue to watch it right now but you know like for us if we if we just look at a normal single family house we're basically calculating a month of vacancy because that's like one turnover of a tenant in any given year and in some years i mean we've got properties been occupied for over two years from the same tenant but now you'll start to see that churn happen more if i see that trending up i'll go from calculating seven, eight percent a month for vacancy based on the rent price to uh, maybe one point five of that. So maybe like 11, 12 percent just to just to make sure I'm, I'm conservatively underwriting my deals. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, uh, Marty. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with everybody. I don't think the doom and gloom is coming. Um, I think there's way too many uh, smart investors out there that are ready to pounce on on anything on any good deal that comes available. Um, you know, I think there's still going to be uh, houses that sit on the market because we still got people who think the market is uh, as it was a year ago. And so I think uh, I think the market's still going to be saturated, but the there's still going to be plenty of good deals and, and there's no doom and gloom. So I think there's still going to be plenty of good deals out there. I like it. Tom? I, I tend to agree with most of the sentiments expressed. I'll, I'll add that I think there's, you know, investors are always finding opportunities. Uh, successful investors are always finding opportunities regardless of the market conditions. But I think there will be an increase in opportunities for those willing to take risk uh, before the interest rates settle out at whatever their new, uh, their new uh, normal is going to be. Uh, so I think for the, those that are out there and active, uh, there's potential here and, you know, second half of 23, early 24 for quite a few deals to be had. And, uh, I look to see all of the uh, green squad players out there making it happen. I like it. Brandon, why don't you close us out since I think uh, I don't know how you feel about future predictions. Some really great sentiments here from my teammates. Uh, and I, hey, I agree with you. I think that the smart people are going to position themselves to be able to react to the market. And what does that mean? They're going to preserve their capital. They're going to be ready to jump at opportunities when they see them. I do, I do have one prediction, uh, and that is I think that there's going to be a reduction in the amount, the, the quantity of investors, especially new investors and syndicators who kind of got into syndications during those insanely low interest rate uh, years when deals were everywhere. I think we're going to see a reduction in those, those folks. And I, so, the people who like to invest as limited partners in syndications, I think you really have to do your diligence on who the syndicators are, what their track record is, and what their their you know what kind of markets have they operated in. So I would ask those due diligence questions of the syndicators if you're going to get into limited partnership deals. Uh, I also think in the in the retail space, real estate agents. Uh, I think that they've been having a heyday the last few years with skyrocketing prices and and just being able to, you know, it's like fishing, right? They could just fishing with a net. They could throw their net out there and just get a whole bunch of buyers. And I think that uh, the real estate market's going to level out a little bit there. And so I think you're going to see new agents, uh, young agents go by the wayside as well. And so... Uh, there, there you go. You didn't expect a prediction out of me, but I give you a little bit of, of a prediction there. Uh, but in general, just be resilient, position your yourself so that you can react and take advantage of opportunities when they come up. Well, we just got, he's got a yeah. whole breakdown. 
We got a recorded prediction from Brandon. That's fantastic. <laughs> we can turn him into Brandon Bomb right there. Oh, well, I think that that wraps it up uh, for this morning on Green Squad Chats. Thanks for everyone sharing their ideas and a little bit of background. And we'll see what we get into next time. Appreciate y'all.